you are listening to Jai Long and this is Make Your Break. Hey, Make Your Breakers, welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you here. Hey, are you ever curious about the creators behind certain apps or software or projects or books, podcasts, whatever it is, and want to know a little bit more? I'm always like that. I love listening to podcast episodes personally or behind the scenes. I love looking at behind the scenes things and sort of breaking down how did they get to where they are. Now, today on the podcast, I'm talking with the founder of the unscripted app, Cheryl. Cheryl is an incredible entrepreneur and I love the fact that she shares how she made her break, came from nothing, worked her way up and the mindset that she had along the way the self-development path that she had along the way, how she hired her first hire, who she hired, why she did the second hire and all the way through to her big business that she has right now, which is so cool. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a big shout out to those that left us a review this week. Big thank you. It means the world to us. It gets us closest to our 1,000 reviews that we're trying to go for. So thank you very much. If you do want to leave a review, don't forget straight below in the notes there, you can do that. Also, I would love to share with you a little playlist that I have, a little playlist quiz for you to curate your own playlist from Make Your Break. Now, you know we've got over 200 episodes. So I would love for you to pick your poison, curate the hottest Make Your Break tracks for your creative mojo and you can do it in just a few clicks. Now, again, just below, if you look at the description of this episode, I'm going to have it right there. So have a lot of fun and I'll see you soon. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, Make Your Breakers, welcome back. Today on my couch, I have Cheryl and Cheryl is the founder of the Unscripted app, which I know a lot of you guys would know that app and you probably used it. Maybe you're one of her users, who knows? But we're going to dive in deep and talk about creating a product as an app and why was that the choice and everything sort of around being a creative entrepreneur in that field there. So welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So good to have you in the lounge room. It's a lovely lounge room. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually wanted to get you on the show for a long time now. I think I first crossed paths with your app maybe 18 months ago or something like that. And um, it's really cool seeing what you've done, but also seeing you constantly grow and evolve and rebuild and expand. And there's so often like you see someone put something out into the world and then it's done and they leave it and they never sort of go back with it or they never put in the time and the hard yards. So it's it's been cool to see you put in all of that work into your app. Oh, thanks. Um, I do get that question all the time from people that don't understand what goes into building product particularly. Totally. It's like, don't you make an app and then it's done? Like, what is there to do every day? Why are you building a team and, you know, going to work every day? You know what? I think that's a good place to start because I feel like even for me, everyone's like, Joy, you just make passive income all day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm passively working to make passive income. Like people don't understand that when you create something, so much work needs to go into it, especially if you've got ambitions for that product. So for your product, is that how you need to build something and you want it to be larger than what it is and you want it to keep the test of time and everything else? Absolutely. I think innovation in any business is super, super important and very, very important in anything technical. But um, it applies to all businesses. Like in, in your case, I couldn't imagine you could just put out a course and it's just going to 
do well for the end of time unless you're constantly building on it, adding to it, thinking of new ideas and innovation comes in creativity and the way that you communicate with your users, the way that you get new users, what people want. We're watching like life change so quickly around us. So quickly, hey. And you have to stay fast and rapid mm. and I'm on TikTok. I never thought I'd be on TikTok. I'm like on chat GPT. Like <laughs> you just have to keep evolving with everything that gets thrown at you. Do you ever day. get overwhelmed with how quickly things are changing? Because it feels like a snowball right now that it's getting faster and faster and faster. Yeah, but I love it. And I think as a creative that ended up in photography, like I'm somewhat technical. Mm-hmm. I consider myself more of a technical creative. So I love finding innovation in these new things. But yeah, of course it's overwhelming. And it's like, oh, another thing to figure out. Like mm. if I'm not on the top of this, am I going to get left behind? But particularly in tech, you have to be on top of it. Like I need to know what's happening before it happens. I need to know about every software update, every new Apple product. And I can't say that like following Apple product summits is like my favorite thing to do, but you have to deeply know this stuff if you're going to work in a tech world for sure. Do you ever get worried like Apple just like releases a new update? You're like, oh my God, I need to go check that. Uh, well, I should know before that happens, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. And I think I'm in two spaces really because I'm in the app developer space. So I really need to understand that world and how that's Which essentially people. is like the platform or like the dish that you serve your product on. Totally. And it's yeah. a niche space. Yeah. Like uh, app developers are fast and they're generally bootstrapped and developers that like to code in their bedrooms and just get stuff up. Mm-hmm. So that's a really cool place to be. And there's huge communities in there. So that's finding amazing. those communities and being on those channels is, you know, half my job. And then the other half is understanding um, what photographers are the doing. users, yeah. T- today. So I'm, I consider myself like I spend half my day figuring Multifaceted. out. Multifaceted. Yeah. One part of the business and then the other side, understanding photographers and what they need today. And uh, what they need today is different than when I started. Cool. Hey, before we sort of dive right into it, can you explain to me what your product is and what problem does it solve and for who? Yeah. So I founded the Unscripted posing app. Started off as a posing app with like 50 couples poses. And this was to solve my own problem where basically a bit of a backstory. I was doing wedding videos really quite casually for friends and friends of friends. And I got to shadow all these amazing photographers. But what I found with these photographers was they had all been doing it for 10 years plus, and they're really amazing at light and composition and getting the same shots every time in the same locations. And they just like absolutely nailed that. But as a videographer, I was desperate for movement and I was learning. So I really wanted to push like my boundaries every single time. So What I discovered through videography was that movement and emotion and play was just absolutely essential to getting really great footage. So I had a photographer that I worked with a few times and she's like, do you want to take a turn directing? Because I don't know about now, but back then, like the videographer kind of shadowed the photographer and kind of stayed out of the way. But this photographer was really like, you take a turn. And I was like, what? Do you trust me to do this? This is cool. So I was directing a full party, like wedding party on like swishing their dresses and moving back and forth and like coming into the bride and groom and then coming out again. And we talked afterwards and she was like, that was amazing. I got footage that like, or sorry, shots that I never never have had before. So it just really like 
created that passion in me that posing is more than just composition and making sure that everyone's, you know, well lit and there's no tree branch coming out of their head and they're like, look their best. And then the second half to that is bringing in movement and play and genuine emotion. So I, being a highly visual person was like, well, I need a visual reference that's always going to be in my pocket. And um, so I had a bit of experience with app development before. So I knew kind of what to do, how to hire and yeah, built this MVP. An MVP is like a minimal viable product and got it out there and put it on the app store. Didn't expect much, but it absolutely exploded. It was free. And I had all these photographers from all over the world being like, how can I contribute to this? Wow. So that like product market fit was kind of established in that. So fast. Launch. And you didn't think like from launch day that it was going to take off like that? No, I had done apps before. So my first app that I built, I was like 19 or 20 and it was an instant success. So I, I had felt that. I knew what that felt cool. like. Yeah. And that was what like made me absolutely become obsessed with mobile app development because you can just reach so many users so quickly on this amazing platform. Everyone's got a device. Most of those people have iPhones in, you know, America and Australia, like our Western countries, and you can connect with them so easily. So my first app was a photo editor and I ended up calling it Selfie. And I called it that right as like Kim Kardashian and selfies were emerging. So it was just excellent timing. Wow. And there was less than a million apps on the app store, probably less than so 100,000. Yeah. Just primed. And yep. I don't think many young female app developers were around at the time. So to have this like really girly photo editor mm. on the app store that was completely like pink and super girly. Like it just stood out like a sore thumb. Wow. Everything was quite brown and <laughs> masculine and solitary-ish at the time. Yeah. And it came from, again, a problem of my sister and I, we were trying to take a photo at the beach and it was before the forward facing camera. And we're like, this is really hard. There's like no self timer. We have to hold it out and take like 50 varieties before mm, we're even in the true. frame. Yeah. I was like, surely there's a way of doing this. But uh, that's an example of when, you know, you need to keep innovating. And in that situation, I didn't like mm. Apple came out with forward facing camera and the whole need for a photo app. my <laughs> app. Yeah, yeah. Like, a you know, it had a countdown timer and everything that was just null and void. So Apple wow. can decimate apps as yeah. they so choose, but it's really important to, I guess that's, that's interesting because you've actually experienced the whole, like something getting out innovated so fast and not adapting and seeing what happens when that happens. Totally. Yeah. So now I fully understand that you need to keep innovating and innovation is expensive and it's time consuming and it's hard. And it can be scary. And it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think right now there's like small things are happening quicker than ever before and like there's so many things to be on top of. And you also got to be mindful all the time that's like, am I following a trend right now or is this actually innovation? You know, because it could be so many trends where someone's changed a platform or, they, or they're building something or they're doing something or like whatever it is and it might not be the right thing as well. Totally. I think that applies to any business and mm. like definitely seen that in the photography business just the last few years that I've been following that like how quickly trends have changed in Oh, so quick. Uh, One person changes it. One (laughs) One person. person. Yeah. It's amazing. Powerful. Yeah, it's kind of like if you're a school of fish, one at the front will turn and the whole school like will turn. And I I find that fascinating. I want to be the the head of the fish. The one that's turning. (laughs) So I just want to recap and paraphrase what your app is all about to those that are out there right now and still unsure. 
you're talking about weddings and videographers and photographers generally work together at a wedding and videographers, they have the luxury of moving around, but they want things to move to make it interesting. Where a photographer obsess more over light and keeping things still and perfecting the perfect shot. And so Cheryl's talking about here is like, how can you combine both people so we can both create amazing work and bringing in more movement, more play for the photographer as well as the videographer, and then in turn create way better work. Am I correct by saying that? Totally. Yeah. And so from there, you essentially, do you have videographers on there or essentially have you just onboarded all the photographers? Definitely focused on the photographer niche. We're rolling out posing loops now. So that's um, little videos that is ideal for both photographers and videographers. I think getting into a posing flow is part of the challenge. Like you can sit a couple down and then it's like, okay, what's like a really natural way that I can direct them to get a variety of shots from this one pose. To me, a pose is like how you choreograph your like and direct your clients to sit or stand. And then prompting is um, what you say to get them to engage with each other and move and show genuine emotions. So what can we say as photographers or videographers to get a variety of shots from very little movement from our or limited movement. Like sometimes you've got a pregnant mother and there's only so many things you can do with a pregnant mother. Same as like a bridal party, like they're in dresses, they can't do too much and they're in high heels and moving around. You need to keep that as limited as possible, but you can still get a huge variety of shots if you prompt them correctly. That's so cool. So we've um, obviously just launching an app. So many people have all the app ideas and they all want to launch something. Is it correct in saying that when you launched an app, what was following was like working out how to monetize it and then processing hundreds of thousands of micropayments and then building a team to make sure things go well and then having support and having a website and having frequently asked questions and having, you know, everything else. So from that one app, did you sort of anticipate the big business that you sort of was going to follow that little invention? Absolutely not. (laughs) And every day I'm learning. I've onboarded a bunch of new developers in the last six months quite quickly. And now I'm learning about, oh, like product and growth sprint meetings and waterfall and all these different ways of running product and experiments and A-B testing and oh man, it is dense. So no, I absolutely did That's not amazing. think that that would be where I am now, but I love it. I love growing. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like how far can I go personally with this before? Mm. Maybe I don't know enough, you know? So I definitely deal with that insecurity. But then I like, I'm constantly amazed that I'm like, I made a good hire. I manage that meeting. I can show good leadership skills. I can coordinate. So I'm always surprising myself that I actually do have these skills. Yeah. Are you like actively working on these things like leadership skills and how to like be a better team leader, role model, uh, facilitator for your crew? Yes. I do courses and stuff. I'm constantly learning. I think that's the number one thing for anyone that runs a business is you cannot have this ego that you know everything. I just go into everything that I don't totally know what I'm doing, but I can learn. Do you have the mindset that you know that you are the biggest block in your business? Ooh, I was considering this yesterday because everything <laughs> we do, you need to consider the impact. Mm-hmm. And then some things are like, well, I, I don't know if this is going to have a huge impact, but I really want to do it or it's good for the brand or it's good for this or that. So 
yeah, I am the gatekeeper of things that go out and things that we do and the order that we do them in. So I I'm always thinking how fast and how slow. Yeah, else. I'm a blocker yeah. because I didn't think this through properly, or I didn't think of the impact, mm. um, or I prioritized the wrong thing. So or I didn't hire enough people, yes. or I didn't expand fast enough, or Correct. I didn't increase the price, or yes. you know whatever it is. Yeah. Oh yes. It's interesting because, like, I'm glad you do have that mindset because sometimes, like, you get people that that just like the know it all geniuses that run everything and they don't realize that even still they are the block and we are always the block in our own business like I am my definitely 100% my business like I am the biggest block the reason why it's a small or a slow or whatever it is that's my fault you know and the reason why it's successful and everything else that's like the team's fault because they're like building and expanding and I'm always like "Mm, I don't know can we do this can we do that and it's one of those things like no matter what level you get to, I think we always need to have the humility to know that like there can be more done and we can do a better job and we can facilitate in a better way. Absolutely. I think just taking ego out of entrepreneurship is really, really important. Mm. And I come across that all the time, just big egos. And yeah, I think that's the number one you blocker. You know, I think like um, well, business owners, I think, have less ego and entrepreneurs have more ego because entrepreneurs believe that they are the best. No one can do it as well as them. They can't hire anybody else. You know, like I see this in photographers, for instance, like, ah, no one can edit as good as me. No one can get back to emails as good as I do. No one can do, you know, it's like an endless list. But a business owner, a lot of the times can sort of see like, hey, so this is a repeatable process. And I know someone else can like fit into this slot and then they could make this happen. In fact, they probably could make it happen quicker and better and more efficient than I can which is really interesting shift because also entrepreneurs don't have good leadership skills either because they are the center of the universe. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, your confidence can be totally rattled. If you make the wrong hire and you realize you're still better at something than someone else, then you go back to that belief system that I can do this faster. I can do this better. There's so many (laughs) challenges to battle personally, internally and externally when scaling a business that is, yeah, we can have a whole other podcast on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk about finances for a second, because when you do scale a business, you obviously, one of the first things that everyone always asks when they're first starting as entrepreneurs, like, when do I know I can hire someone? Also, I don't have enough money to hire someone. Should I hire someone? And so with you making more money in your business as it grows bigger and, and everything else, a lot of people from the outside could be like, well, that's amazing. Like, you know, you're just getting rich and it's an app or it's a course or it's just a passive income thing. You don't need to spend any money. But in reality, tell me what it's like to sort of balance between like making things sustainable, working, looking after your team, your clients, the people around you and everything else. Well, that's been a whole learning curve in itself, just managing finances as a business scales. But um, I've been bootstrapped. So I started my businesses all from the money that I had. Like my MVP, I think, cost me $2,000. Cool. That's so cool. (laughs) How did you get that $2,000? Is that from videography? I've always done things. I moved to Australia and could not get a job. It was in the height of the GFC. So I just found myself in entrepreneurship out of just desperation because I really wanted to stay. I'd met an Australian who is now my husband when I was traveling. And I was like, there's no way I am leaving this life that I've landed in. I'm going to make this work. So yeah, did like sold stuff on eBay, waitressed, cleaned, all sorts of things. You did the things that you had to do to make the dream work. Absolutely. So yes, $2,000 was a big budget at the time, but it was something I was willing to risk. And So that was a lot of money to you? Yes, 100%. I, back to the question of like scaling financially, 
being bootstrapped as you know, we, most of us listening probably are, is you need to obviously hire as you can. You can't, you have to hustle and do things that are below you in obviously those early days. You have to be doing all the outreach, all the emails, you're every head of your business, you know, your customers more, your the marketing, your sales, (laughs) finances. So the first thing I chose to outsource was the marketing side of things. And still to this day, I still think that was the best hire and she still works for me. And what's her name? um, Jen. Cool. Shout out, Jen. Shout out, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) And I hired her as a contractor just like two days a week because I couldn't have hired her as an employee. I didn't even know how to hire an employee. Totally. But I knew how to pay a contractor because that's how what I So tell me the logic behind this. Were you sort of like out there hustling and then did you think you should get someone to market for you because one, you wanted to get back your time or two, you realized that you needed to get in front of more people? Um, I think I prefer the product side of things more than the marketing side of things. I definitely have grand ideas for marketing, but it's very time consuming. Like, Oh, marketing is so oh, time consuming. Outreach yeah. and creating email lists. But this is what really made me realize the power of marketing was I launched the app with no email registration. You mm-hmm. can just use it and you didn't need to put your email address in. I changed it to capture emails, but didn't do anything with those emails. The day I actually started sending welcome emails, I did a seven-day email flow, mm-hmm. doubled my business. So As simple as that, hey? The power of marketing was yeah. very evident. And I was like, okay, obviously I need to put the time into this. You know what's interesting though? Like a lot of people don't know that. And so, so often they're like, man, to double my business, like I'd have to double the size of my team and I'd have to, you know, like really branch out and do all these things. But sometimes just one simple strategy like that, that you're missing out on was the thing that was stopping you. Yeah. I love listening to like famous CEOs, like PayPal CEO. And he says that 90% of your impact and uplift comes from 10% of your work. Oh, totally. So that means you need to be rapidly experimenting. So 90% of what we're doing every day has zero impact. Only 10% mm, does. I and love we that need so to get much. smarter at these experiments. So trying new things. And I think I've gotten a habit of my business as we've grown just quite easily in my mind was getting a bit more in a habit of this is how we run our Instagram. This is how we do emails. This is how we do influencer marketing and not really experimenting. But I've definitely changed my mindset around that in the last year and yeah, you waste 90% of your time, but 10% of those bets have huge impact. I could not agree more. And that's literally something that I think about all the time, my own business. You know, so it's like you have so many things on the cards all the time. And then I'm like, okay, so but is this moving the needle or is this taking away time from the 10% activity that I could be putting action into right now that would bring 90% of work, you know? So it's a constant battle for me. And I'm constantly like, delegating, dropping things, testing things and seeing what, what is the big thing, what isn't the big thing, which is amazing. And then there's slow projects like SEO that nobody wants to do. <laughs> yeah, because there's no instant gratification. Yes, but you're like, oh, but it's a job to be done um, mm. and it has long-term impact, but it's really hard to test that impact quickly. Mm. So yeah, how do you prioritize your time between the jobs that you know you need to do and the jobs that you can see have huge impact? Yeah, so this is exactly the battle I have in my own head because like, for instance, shout out to Mel, she's um, my full-time copywriter. And she's like, Jai, I need to like drop back and do some more blog posts and we need to work on this. And I'm like, but do we? Like, can't we just do some more emails? Like, like, can't we like work on the next event and like, you know, bring in a lot more people doing that? And um, it's always a battle and I always think I'm right. And she always thinks she's right, of course, because I'm battling myself on the biggest block, right? So I need her to do those things 
and do the things that I don't want to do so we can keep growing. Absolutely. Oh, I don't have a quick answer for that. <laughs> so what was your second hire then? Second hire was customer service. Okay. And I think customer service is really undervalued in most businesses. It has huge impact. 100%. Yeah, if you 100%. can actually mobilize your customer service team or whoever is doing your emails or whatever capacity this person is, they're client facing. Mm -hmm. They are the first person that's communicating with your customer, client, user, whatever. Okay, so arguably probably one of the most important jobs in the business. Yeah. Because they are the face of your business to 90% of people. Mm -hmm. And they're 100% responsible for good reviews. Just, well, maybe not 100%, but very but responsible. Yes. Yeah. To make sure that you're getting good reviews and that they're giving a great user experience. Mm. So whoever is doing that admin in your business is a pivotal role. And I still have my first hire for that. Um, That's awesome. She's still here. And she grew to do Instagram. Because Instagram became quite time consuming. Uh, we post stories every day, reels. We have, you know, posts that go out every day on a schedule. And managing that is. Did she sort a of like job. put herself into that role and say, like, I would love to look after, take this off your plate? Or did you go to her and say, like, hey, can you take this off my plate? It's a good question. I'm struggling to remember, but I think they came together pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, customer service wasn't a full-time thing yeah, okay. um, and she didn't start full-time, but as the business grew, I can afford someone more full-time and um, yeah, so she brought on more responsibilities. That's so cool. So with those two things that allowed you to sort of free up your time a little bit more and then get back into your genius zone, which was looking at the app, how users use it, how you, you know, strategizing the next 12 months and everything else. Totally. And I love that. Yeah. I love looking at the product and doing gross sprints with developers. And yep. I really enjoy that side of things, but you can't forget about the other side. So mm. I still need to show good leadership skills in, in all of it and make sure I'm mobilizing everyone the best I can. And I'm not roadblocking them because I've prioritized my time elsewhere. And that's a constant battle. Yeah. That's so cool. So this is all like over the years, have you felt like you've made a lot of mistakes? Have you learned a lot of things? Like when it comes to your team and hiring people, have you hired the wrong people? Like, Tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think, but I think in startup culture, you really just have to make big mistakes or else you're not moving forward. And if any decision you make isn't risky, it's, or doesn't feel uncomfortable, it doesn't have eye impact. Mm. So I've definitely made mistakes or rolled things out too quickly or rolled things out Did too slowly. Did you know slowly. that when you first started or was that something literally from listening to podcasts and books or was that from trial and error and realizing you're like, oh my God, that big risky thing actually moved the needle the most? I think um, I was more risky at the beginning and in the last few years gotten less risky and certainly recently re-decided that I need to go back to my roots of being mm. risky and high impact and not habitual in how we look at growth. Yeah. It's so interesting, hey, there's so many entrepreneurs have that exact same like roadmap where they, when they first start, they've got nothing to lose, everything to gain and they do all the riskiest things and then after a while, you see less and less momentum in the business because they get to a point where they're like, well, this is good. Let's protect now. And then you need to sort of like let go of that for your next level again. Because, I mean, obviously what got you to where you are now is not going to get you to where you want to be. But stopping is the quickest way to kill your business because it's literally like putting a roadblock down and saying like, no, no, this is good enough. I'm going to start protecting and no longer going to grow the business. I think when you're in that protecting stage, though, it's hard to know that you're in that protecting stage. Oh, you stage. definitely don't know. You're just like, oh, <laughs> I've got some like brand authority now and um, things are good mm. and I'm not like 
getting no's as much as I used to. I'm getting lots of yeses and things feel yeah. easy. So I think we naturally, you know, pull back a little bit and yeah. just go, oh, let's cruise in this. But I think internally, I wish I checked a little bit earlier was, am I feeling uncomfortable? And if yeah, I'm not yeah. feeling uncomfortable, I'm not pushing hard enough. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I've read a lot of like psychology books and things like that. And one thing that comes up a lot is, so when we have nothing, we want to gain everything. We'll do anything to make that happen. And as humans, uh, especially if you're not an entrepreneur, we would rather keep than try to lose to get something bigger, right? So, so we're always protecting. So for instance, if I had $50 in my pocket and I said to you, said to me, Jai, give me the 50 and you have 50, 50% chance you could win a hundred or you just lose your 50, right? Most of us will go, no, nah, I'd rather just keep the 50 we don't want to lose. Like, why would I want to lose the 50? And it's harder because then I've got no money. So as we work up, everyone has a threshold. So for instance, if I get to a hundred thousand, I could be thinking, man, I could double this or I'm going to put it all in back in my business and see if I can get to 200. Then when I get 200, I might get to 400. When I get to 400, I'm going to get to 800. When I get to 800, I'm going to get to a million. Once I get to a million, maybe that's the block for myself. And what happens is you change it and go, Ooh, I don't want to lose the million. And so what happens is you start protecting from there. Like maybe I'm hiring too many people. There's too much excess fat in my business right now. I need to start saving. Why are we paying for so many subscriptions? And you start going into that. Like, why are we marketing? We've got brand authority. Why are we doing this? But some people don't have that limit. So someone, you know, like a big entrepreneur, maybe like Elon Musk or something could be a billion dollars. And that means a million dollars means nothing. He could double that again, 2 million, then get from two to 4 million, four to, you know, eight, 16 keep going sort of thing. So we all have like our own mental block that we need to hit and then realize that it's there. And then we move on to the next mental block, wherever that is, yeah. which I find that so fascinating. It is really fascinating. That really resonates for sure. And I think it comes down to that internal feeling of like, do you feel safe? Mm. If you feel safe, you might not be pushing hard enough. Yeah. You're sitting there and you're like, well, if you're comfortable, then, I mean, if you're comfortable, that means you've hit your target. I mean, I assume, and it also means you don't want to lose what you've built. That's a really good point, actually. And I think, for example, in my case, going into Unscripted, I didn't have big enough dreams. And now that I have kind of reached my dreams that I had when I launched it, surpassed them. How'd that make you feel? Uh, I think being a very hungry entrepreneur, I was like, wow, I, lost? I, I can do this better. I can do this yeah. higher. How far can I take this? And when my, my mentality changed from, oh, this is a really nice casual business to this could be a really big business, mm. everything changed. I started yeah, realizing wow. I'm a really small fish in a big pond and yeah. I want to be in the bigger pond with these people over here. With the big fish. With the big fish. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I feel like I've done really great in this smaller fish pond. And if I wanted to stop now, that's success. That's, you know, I built a profitable business and there's so much success in that, but it's also this roller coaster that will go without me. So how can I put it on this path to get, you know, mm. off to the top? And I think it's easy to get a little bit comfortable and to feel success or whatever your version of success is. But when my mentality changed that, oh, you know what? I can actually take it there look at what they're doing over there. Then yeah. I started studying those people, like really studying those people. And there's totally different learnings when you start to think about a different scale. Yeah. I actually, funny enough, I don't know why, but I listened to one of my old podcast episodes today because I was like, I need to listen to what I used to talk about a year ago. But one was I talked about like, you should look around and I'm not talking about like at your neighbor and looking over at the lawn. I'm talking about who's doing the best in the world 
look at them because that's actually what's possible for you. And it's so interesting because so often we only look next door, like in the little ponds. We just, yeah, but Gary down the road, he made an app and he's got 100 users, so that's what I can do as well. But when you look around at the biggest and the best and what people are doing out there, like the CEO of PayPal and whatever else, it's like, holy shit, it's there for us and I can make that happen. Yeah, and all you need is momentum and product market fit and sky's the limit. One last question. Do you feel like one of your biggest regrets in business is setting goals that are too small for yourself? 100%. Yep, I do. I think you need to be a big dreamer. And if I went into my business and thought about the big picture, I would have done it entirely differently. Mm. So an example of that is I only built a mobile app for iOS. And if I knew it was going to be an Android app, a web platform. You would have done it all straight away. Oh, well, just the structure and the infrastructure would have been different. And now when I speak to my developers, they're like, well, I wish you bloody told me what the dreams were then because I would have structured everything differently. So a huge cost and timely expense has been rebuilding everything because I simply didn't have a big enough dream. Yeah, it's one of the biggest regrets I see for everyone. It's my biggest regret and I still do it right now, you know. I remember I was talking, I was interviewing this amazing entrepreneur. She's the owner of Smith and Daughters in Melbourne. And she started this restaurant that was epic on Smith Street. And when I went and interviewed her, I was like, what's your biggest regret in business? And she's like, I didn't think big enough when I started. And I signed a 10-year lease for this tiny shop. And because I thought at the time, like, this is the dream. And I limited the whole growth of the whole business. And I was like, wow. You know, so at the start, we always like, we're scared of rejection and failure and all this stuff. But really, like, it's the small dream that we have is the thing that like stops so much growth later on. Absolutely. Dream bigger. Dream bigger. God <laughs> damn, what's going on? <laughs> hey, Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show. How can we reach out and find you and how can we find your app? Yeah, a search and script it in your app store will pop up right away. Even if you've been doing it for a really long time, I assure you, you will find some new ideas in there. There's a really generous free offering. So you've got lots of time to figure it out. We do also offer full client management and gallery delivery as well. Epic. And that's been, yeah, the last year. And that's been oh a whole other ride. Wow. It sounds like you're building a lot of things. A lot of things. Lots of developers, lots of time and money. It's all very fun. And then we're on Instagram and we send really good emails. If you download the app, you'll get them. They're get all- onto that email Re- list. I love our emails. Yeah, that's so good. The whole team works on our emails and we're all photographers and we just adore them. So if anything, come and check out our emails. <laughs> get on that mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. I really do appreciate you and I will talk to you soon. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hey, Make Your Breakers. Want to streamline your audible dose of inspiration, motivation, and creative biz insights with a custom playlist made just for you? Um, was that a yes, please? Kicking our arses into gear, sifting through all of Make Your Breaks episodes to date. Yep, we're talking all 200 plus episodes. We've meticulously curated some banging playlists just for for you. We want to help you to make that break ASAP. So whether you're a newbie or have listened to every episode a million times, jump into the show notes and check out the little something something we whipped up to generate your very own custom playlist. <laughs>